Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You're listening to Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM, Chicago, Illinois. And I'm your host, Tariq Alameen. Radio Islam is a live call-in talk radio program airing every day from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. And we reach the world by streaming live at RadioIslam.com. And you can also stream us live at WCEV.com. At RadioIslam.com, you can tap into all of our prior shows. And if you haven't done so already, follow us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, all at the same handle, at Radio Islam USA. You can call in to tonight's program at, let me see here, at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. Now, tonight is a, well, this is a a special night, Uh, not just because of what is going on in the news, but because we are saying farewell or we'll, we shouldn't say farewell, we'll say we'll see you later to a very, very special uh, part of the Radio Islam family. And that is Olivia Richardson, who is joining me in studio, along with Ibrahim Baig. So tonight, well, before I go any further, do you want to go ahead and say hello to the listeners? Assalamu alaikum, everybody. <laughs> Ibrahim. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. So tonight we're going to be talking about some really pressing issues that a lot of people are talking about, most of us are talking about. And we're going to start out with Hurricane Harvey. Uh, that has dominated the that has dominated the airwaves, uh, the consciousness, the hearts, the relief efforts. And it's really amazing that we're already already looking at the next iteration of potential disaster in Hurricane Irma. Is it Hurricane? Yeah, Hurricane. Yeah, Hurricane Irma. Scheduled to be Category 5. Yeah, so that's a huge, you know, that's huge. And uh, reports are saying that most of its its speed or its its impact is going to be offshore uh, right now, but that it could definitely, you know, only, only God knows. Only, only Allah knows how things are going to turn out with that. Yeah, yeah. But our prayers are definitely with those who are enduring Hurricane Harvey, who are trying to uh, tr- trying to bring relief, uh, and those who are just trying to make it through it, because that is a pretty much an unimaginable unimaginable scenario for most of us. So, um, any any thoughts on on Hurricane Harvey, either of you guys? I. Uh, no? No, <laughs> mostly um, kind of the same that, um, yeah, I think last time Friday we were talking briefly about Harvey, um, we were talking about the sort of like the first responders was our last Friday conversation. No, Thursday, I'm sorry, because Friday we were off. Uh, and so it's just one of those moments where when you hear about, you know, FEMA being cut or anything like that, it's sort of like this is clearly one of those moments where he said, that FEMA is one of the biggest means of dirt cleanup. Um, so it's like when you hear about these things, it's like we can't really cut these programs or I don't think sometimes people understand like how important they are into situations like these. It's not just – I mean, there's first responders saving people and then there's, of course, getting things back to normal so you have a functioning economy and healthy people and rebuilding all over again. So it's kind of also a little bit scary to think that we might have a situation with Irma. I mean, we don't know where that's going to go. Hurricanes tend to – Whoop. You know, they go all over the place. But 
right. inshallah, hopefully, um, you know, it's not too devastating. Uh, yes, and you know what? Just to just kind of recall, you know, before we go any further, we didn't get a chance to wish you all a, a, a Eid Mubarak. Yes. Uh, we had pre-pro, we had a pre-recorded programming going over the holiday weekend. We had Eid uh, followed by National Holiday Labor Day. So, uh, as Olivia said, this is Tuesday earlier on. So, yeah. um, we're just getting back in. So, we're praying that everybody had a joyous Eid and that you were able to uh, spend it with with family and friends, loved ones, uh, and just uh, just benefit from this this special time of year and just the idea of, of sacrifice. I'm not going to go into a into a uh, into a, a lecture or a sermon, but. <laughs> We, we did, we would be remiss if we did not extend our well wishes uh, to you and your families uh, during this special time of year, inshallah. So, wanted to mention that we did talk about and talk with the mindset of first responders, and we had the benefit of having a 20-year veteran of, of the fire service on the line with us. Oddly enough, well, I shouldn't say oddly enough because Muslims are everywhere, right? But yeah. we had the benefit of having... Uh, Lieutenant Ahmed Sadiq on the line uh, to give us some some perspective, you know, and some insight into the training and the mindset and how uh, what what folks on the ground, what these first responders on the ground in Houston, what they were most likely uh, thinking about and how they responded. So there's also another first responder that I think it is incumbent upon us to mention. Uh, and it was something I think that you mentioned earlier, Ibrahim. Um, why don't you go ahead and give the listeners a, a little bit of, of what you what you uh, what what came about? Um, just very briefly, his name is Jesus Contreras. He was one of, really on the front lines of uh, helping people in need during the Harvey Hurricane Harvey disaster. He happens to be what is known as a dreamer. Mm. Uh, dreamer meaning referring to someone who was. Who came to this country, um, usually from Latin America somewhere, as a child, um, who are technically, they're not here legally, right, when it comes to technical terms, not necessarily human terms. We consider them kind of undocumented citizens. Well, some of us do. Right. Um, so these dreamers benefited from an act during the Obama administration back in 2012 called DACA, as we know, we see in the news today that President Trump, uh, according to his pledge, and now Attorney General Jeff Sessions has confirmed that, that DACA is going to be rescinded. Us living here in Chicago, this is, uh, especially for us, it's huge news because Chicago is one of really the uh, areas with most that's most concentrated in the country. So uh, Chicago, New York, some places in Texas, California, these are the areas that are going to be most uh, hardest hit by this decision of the Trump administration. Um, so it's definitely on our minds here in Chicago. Absolutely, absolutely. And I would, I would refer, if you've been in a hyperbaric chamber or a sensory deprivation chamber or you've had headphones on for, since 2012 and you don't know what DACA is, I would definitely encourage you to uh, to get on the computer, go to Google and look up DACA. Even easier. I'm going to make it even easier. That was a really good piece. Um, if you go to CNN.com, and they wrote a piece. It's called U.S. Immigration DACA and Dreamers Explained. 
and it gives a really thorough outlook on the history of the program, who the recipients are, and I'll just share a few things. So the dream, um, as Ibrahim mentioned, you know, the, the folks that are under the protection of DACA, they've been referred to as, the, uh, as dreamers. So the dream might be turning into a nightmare. And this is for nearly 800,000 young undocumented immigrants who've had the protection of DACA. And DACA stands for Deferred Action Childhood Arrival. And this was the signature piece of immigration policy of former President Barack Obama's administration. So President Trump, in the announcement given by um, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, he's moved away uh, that letting us know that DACA would end uh, within six months. He has moved away from the repeal and replace model, and he simply vied for repeal and see what happens. So it's a it's a major a major sign of, of irresponsibility uh, and the care that he had promised in many different interviews when he was when he was asked about DACA and he says we're gonna we're gonna treat these dreamers he says you know I love these I love the dreamers and we're gonna treat them uh, with respect and care this is a move that is totally devoid of any type of care compassion uh, at all so. Hanging in the balance now are the lives of roughly three-quarters of a million people who've hoped that this was the beginnings of a pathway to citizenship. So it's important for us to look at, first of all, what DACA covered. Now, remember, DACA was enacted in 2012. So these are undocumented immigrants who were brought to the United States as children, a group, as I said before, these are often described as dreamers. So to be eligible... Applicants had to have arrived in the U.S. before age 16 and have lived in the United States uh, prior to 2012. So, um, as I said, they had to be, you know, before the age of 16 uh, and had to have lived here uh, since June 15th, June 15th of 2007. Yeah, let me get that right. So they could not have been older than 30 when they... Uh, Department of Homeland Security enacted this policy in 2012. Now, according to the latest government figures, 787,580 people have been accepted into the program. Now, among those accepted, as you mentioned, uh, Ibrahim, you said that a lot, the majority of the uh, applicants, those who are covered, uh, happen to be Latino. So we're talking about the largest uh, beneficiaries of the program have been El Salvador, Guatemalan, and Honduran uh, people. So what we have to do next is look at what has DACA done for its recipients. Now, we said it did not give them a pathway necessarily for citizenship, but it did allow them to live out in the open, right? Mm-hmm. It, it did afford them the protections of law. Um, it allowed them to obtain valid driver's licenses, enroll in college, and legally secure jobs. And this is a major point that I hope mm-hmm. that we get to talk about more uh, during uh, th- uh, throughout the rest of the program. And most importantly, from a government standpoint, from a financial standpoint, they paid income taxes. Mm. So with the program, uh, now it didn't give them a path to becoming U.S. citizens or even legal permanent res- residents, but it did, like I said, it allowed them to live out in the light out in the open. So uh, we're looking at a situation now where 
the DACA participants who had to reapply every two years to, uh, to renew or stave off deportation, now they are in absolute crunch mode. Um, and we're going to share some of the information that's been circulated by um, advocacy organizations like uh, ICER, which is the I know the, I know the acronym, but I think it's the Immigration. Uh, let me see. Look it up real quick. <laughs> yeah, I should know what this is. It's the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. Okay, so which is a, a tremendously important organization uh, because when we talk about judging a society, we have to make sure that we are not looking at those who are um, at the top of the stratosphere, those who are most well off. We have to look at those who are who have the who have the least or the most likelihood of being uh, afflicted with oppression, those who are most likely to be exploited, those who are most likely to be to be oppressed. So an organization like ICER is extremely important. Any organization that looks at those who have the least voice to give them voice. So uh, they have put out some really important information uh, right now to to their uh, to those that they represent. And I won't I won't jump into all of it right now, but I'm going to ask now because you know. Um, I know I can start talking, and I'll just be talking for an hour straight. No, so. no, just keep talking, just keep talking. <laughs> I think we got this this way. <laughs> but uh, when we, we think about just what, what we're looking at so far is that this was a program that allowed, as I said, it allowed for people to, to live out in the open. Right. Having this program ended, and ended in such a way, looking at the past history of our legislation, our legislators. Mm-hmm. They've had since 2012 to enact some type of permanent legislation. This was something that was done through the Obama administration through executive order. Um, they've had since 2012, and they have not acted on it. How real? I mean, is this is this a joke to think that over the next six months that something is actually going to be done that is going to allow those folks that are here right now to have a pathway to citizenship to stay in the country, to avoid racial profiling, to avoid all of the things that that I think are coming with this. What what are your thoughts? Well, I almost want to ask, like, you know, how is this happening again? We saw the same pattern with Obamacare, where the Republican Party was really opposed to it. Um, Obamacare being the Affordable Care Act, sure, it had its problems. It's not far from perfect. But we saw them with so many chances to do something, to propose something, and now ever since uh, President Trump came to office, we saw kind of a pretty much a total failure to get anything passed, to even propose anything that was plausible. Um, Now with DACA, we see the same kind of uh, um, rush to, to rescind this act. Um, without any real solution to the to the issue here, and I saw that a few couple of headlines were saying, "Well, Congress, you know, he's proposing it, he's doing it, but Congress has the ability to reject it." And it seems like we're maybe getting into that sort of pattern um, where it's like, "And Congress can swoop in at the last second. I'm not, I'm not big on this. I, I, I don't. It is kind of. I have to agree. Like, I'm kind of just watching this. I'm just kind of thinking, like, what. What is this? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I find it problematic on 
a number of levels. Uh, first off, looking at my own the history from my own group, you know, as an African American, as a Black American, um, how you know, if you're going back to the Great Migration, uh, and, and you know, up to the 30s and and, and so on. And how policy, official and unofficial, you know, it was used as a way to, you know, that the whole whole uh, policy of redlining, you know, where we only had certain areas and you know that we were allowed to actually move into, right? And these were areas that once we populated, these were areas that social services were pulled from, you know, these were areas that were allowed to basically devolve into. Um, almost a, a cannibalism, you know, a cannibalistic type of nature where the oppressed begin to attack the oppressed, uh, where they've become over-policed. And, and, and believe me, this is probably a, a discussion that we can have just, you know, for, for another full program. But I mention it because I feel like what it's doing and what it has done, when I talk about the history of the African-American, in particular in big cities like Chicago and Boston and New York, where we were pushed into certain areas, and the outcome has been where you see the violence today, right? Stay with me, uh, listeners. Uh, I'm actually going to make a point here that's going to pull us together. <laughs> um, there was a creation of a particular environment, mm -hmm. and it was done through policy. This policy, by having it revoked, I see this as also being the beginnings of a creation of a new environment, and that environment being where once at one point where immigrants were allowed to live out in the open, where they were allowed to matriculate into society, though not as full U.S. citizens, but still as tax-paying uh, folk, as people who could go and, and receive education, which is a, a doorway to social, mo you know, so upward social mobility. Um, I see that this revocation is a sign that now we are creating a new class, a class of refugee immigrants um, who, you know, many, you know, you have folks who came here uh, as, as teenagers, you know, 14 years old or so, and that person, you know, th this is all they know, you know, or those who were, came here as, as infants. But the point being, they are vested in the idea of the United States. They're, they're vested in being contributing man, uh, uh, members of society. As a matter of fact, let me stop for a second. What I want to do is I want to tell you, if you are listening to us, to feel free, because we love to hear you, give us a call at, I always have trouble, where's my phone number at? At 773, no, no, it's 312-750-1178. Yes. That's 312 750 one one seven eight. Yeah, we'd love to hear you. Um, and I want to share something with you. Now, this is not vetted. And uh, after I share this, we're going to take a, a short break. Uh, but, you know, Facebook is a great place to get news, right? So we don't know if it's <laughs> we don't how quality, authentic it is. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, this it does not necessarily, you know, uh, meet the muster of uh, journalistic standards. But I'm going to share it anyway. It says that the average DACA recipient is 26 and came to U.S. at age 6. 91% are employed. 100% have no criminal record. They pay $500 to renew every two years at a total of $800 million. 
So when you think about now, let's we'll just we'll suspend our disbelief and we'll say that these numbers are true. Right. And they very well, they very well may be true. When we think about the fear that has been stoked by the Trump administration on the campaign trail, you know, as he uh, ran across the country and, and referred to bad hombres and talked about building a wall that was necessary to keep the dangerous immigrants out. And we look, we contrast that with uh, statistics like this, which say that these are people who have embraced the idea of America being a place that they can come, that they can work hard, that they can uh, move upward, that they can be rewarded for their efforts, that it is a place that represents the ideals of, of egalitarianism. Now, we know that that's not always true, right? But, um, I mean, true in, in action as far as from, from the system as far as it's concerned. But they've come here to work. So when we contrast that, I think it, it, deserves, it deserves the, uh, the rebuke of every conscious individual. It deserves a, rebu a rebuke of every citizen who understands what the light of America, what it represents to other folks. So when we come back, we're going to go ahead. We'll, we'll, we'll continue the conversation. We ask you again, if you're listening, we'd love to hear your voice hear your perspective, hear what you think, what does this uh, revocation of DACA mean, or the six months waiting period, what does it mean? You can call us at 312-750-1178, 312-750-1178. We will see you after the break. In the streets below, traffic had stopped. Pedestrians were lying on sidewalks and curled up in doorways. There was no sign of violence, no wrecks, nothing like that. It was as if the people in New York had simply decided to stop whatever they were doing and pass out. Ice coated my stomach. The invasion has started. To find out what happens next, read Percy Jackson and the Olympians by Rick Reardon. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library. And visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri, was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent, one in 260,000. The odds of him having 15 career NASCAR victories, one in 1.7 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, one in 88. I'm Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back. You are listening to Radio Islam at WCEV, 1450 AM Chicago. We reach the world by streaming live at WCEV.com. And you can review our prior shows at RadioIslam.com. Radio Islam is a call-in talk show every night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. And if you'd like to jump in the conversation, please give us a call 
at 312-750-1178. And you can also follow us and contact us on social media at Radio Islam USA. Radio right. Islam USA. And we actually have Amna McLeod who is joining us and she wants to, uh, I guess, make a comment. So, Amna, can you hear us? Hello? Hello? Um, I just wanted to add to what I thought, what I'm thinking is going to be a really great and well-rounded conversation. Mm-hmm. The fact that DACA was incomplete at the outset and as as a piece of, of legislation almost mm-hmm. which gets imposed on the people it was still not full in the sense that it didn't mandate that parents or children of age go and get on a path to citizenship that was clearly laid out in say 24 months so that we would not be at the point we are now and i don't think that we can look at it separately from all of the other things that are going on around education charter schools getting rid of immigrants of all sorts or preventing them from coming in because that applies to muslims too and as we still have in the legislature things that are blocking muslim refugees from coming in and Mexican refugees from coming in. We need to look at it as a part of a larger picture. Mm. Absolutely, you're saying tying. You're saying tying all of the um, all those who are excluded uh, into one into one narrative. All I can hear is music. I can't hear what you're saying. Oh, okay, can you hear me now? I can. Okay, great. So, uh, so what, you, what you're saying is that we need to tie all of those who have been excluded uh, through legislation or lack of legislation into one narrative. Yes, because if if you get picked off by it's DACA today, it's the rise of charter schools and the demise of the community schools, it's Muslim immigrants. All of them can't. You know what I'm saying? It's it's like we're being picked off by focusing us in these very discrete areas and and we're missing the bigger picture absolutely absolutely uh this brings to mind the idea that uh there's it's really trendy now to talk about identity politics Uh, i think we may be missing the larger identity um that we're moving away from a discussion as to what it means to be a not just an american citizen but uh, a human with dignity regardless exactly. of to what uh where you live but that that is the the issue because in and 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 the the audience itself all of us are uh embroiled in identity politics you know we pay attention when it's rohingya or not mm-hmm. but we don't pay attention when it's uh the police and their imposition of a police state you know, it's, it's everybody's only concerned about their own. Hmm. Which is, hmm. Hmm. I'm, I'm just kind of letting that sink in. Um, <laughs> that that brings to mind the uh, the e pluribus unum, you know, which you know, out of many, one. Which I don't know if we've ever really seen that. Well, we see it during times of disaster. 
Um, yeah. Uh, and that seems to be the about the extent of it. So. Well, yeah, and no. <laughs> undifferentiated mass hmm. it is people come and they are who they are but they've got to learn to see the larger pictures that are being created around them and the connections to survive and thrive absolutely absolutely well thank you so much for that thank You're you welcome. so much we appreciate the call and uh, we thank you for listening. listening. All right. <laughs> Take care. You too. Thank you. Those were really, those are really uh, salient points uh, that take us beyond just the struggle of the moment, but looking at what is the the overall goal of our struggle. You know, is it just for the advancement or just for the security of a particular group? Or is it a struggle that is embedded in uh, that is embedded in the success uh, and the security and peace of humanity as a whole? Ibrahim, I was also going to say um, I think it brings up the issue of pretty deep issue of what it actually means to be an American. Is it something which is defined by um, legal documents? Or is it something? For example, a lot of the dreamers, they don't know any. They don't know about living in any other country. They don't identify as citizens of any other country. Obviously, and they've never really lived anywhere else, as far as they can remember. They grew up here. Um, their way of life, their friends, family, everything is here. And to tell them, no, you're actually not an American, or you're not one of us, or that you're breaking the law, technically, just by being here. Mm-hmm. That, I think, really um, forces us to rethink how do we define, I mean, what's the more salient, uh, you know, qualification for being an American? Is it is it growing up here? Is it being, you know, born here? Is it legal documents? What is it? I think um, the administration right now is making a mistake by uh, defining this according to pretty much purely by legal documents. Um, disregarding, you know, way of life and people's experiences and people, you know, how they identify as Americans and so forth. So I think, I mean, if nothing else, this is a really important discussion that the nation needs to have amongst ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's also important for us to think about uh, or to see this as an incubation period. Uh, We've gone through different iterations of, um, I guess, of, of, of identity, you know, um, or the preferred identity. We've gone through different points in time where, um, where different ethnicities have been excluded, you know, from what it means to be American. And to be so bold, I would even say it also goes to, uh, it speaks to the history of who has been allowed to to, to, to claim uh, America, 
the history of who has been allowed to claim Americanness, because it, it hasn't always, uh, it, w it was not always the, um, the, the Latinos, it wasn't always the Mexicans or the, the, the Hondurans or the El Salvadorians. Uh, at one point, it was the Irish, right? right. Uh, there were signs up, you know, in windows, no Irish need apply, right? No Irish need apply. No Irish and no no colored. And matter matter of fact, they may not have been as nice to say colored. They may have may have used another word, right? Right. But we have gone through different phases where we have othered, and it seems that that might be one of the identifying marks, uh, shameful it is to say, of life in America. The history of America is one of othering. You know, placing somebody outside of the bubble of protection, somebody outside of the bubble of brotherhood. Or acceptance um, and now so I say when we look at this as an incubation period what are we setting ourselves up for or what are we being set up to see now because so I want to move uh, our conversation into, into another level and I want us to think about what is this going to mean for immigrants in cities where they don't have uh, I don't I think it was a you, you read it it was a part of the news earlier and they said that uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel right. said this is a Trump-free zone or right. something to that effect. Right. Uh, as a sanctuary city, what does it mean for those immigrants? Matter of fact, not even just immigrants. For those who simply, who look to be, you know, they of a particular phenotype. They're, they're not, uh, they're not, they're not white Americans. Right? So they can be South Asian. They can be uh, they can look to be, quote unquote, you know, for lack of a, term, a better term, uh, Mexican or, 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 or Latina, Latino. Um, what does it mean for them in those places? What, how does this incubation period, what is it going to result in when it comes to police and community relations in those communities where it's not a sanctuary uh, city? Where they're just pulling folks over, you know, just, just look, just based off of appearance. You know, how does that look? What What are you all thoughts on that? I don't know. I feel like part of it has to, you know, maybe if you see, I'm going like really, I feel like I'm going really like optimistic here. And I don't necessarily agree to this, but my hope is that like, not even hope. Let me just stop. <laughs> Let me just say like, you know, like the, the part of me that's like, there's not part of me, but there's this idea that what if it could be okay if you have a community that's somewhat tight knit or, is somehow broken this sort of othering you know i'm sure it might be out there somewhere but then there's another part of me it's just like but largely there are a lot of communities where we just don't know each other like in chicago is a sanctuary city but obviously i don't really know that many people outside of my community and within the muslim communities i'm like i know everybody mm -hmm. so i don't know what type of environment that's going to create in those cities or how that's going to ultimately play out like i i, I want to say like well it depends on each city and maybe there are some cities that are really great but i can't really rely on that i can't really necessarily um hope to that alone so i'm not sure yeah i think there's it's always good to be optimistic as much as you can but at the same time um we need to consider the bad results that could happen like for example, creating a generation for DACA, as far as DACA is concerned, creating a generation of young Americans who are afraid, who are living in fear. That, I mean, that was actually the whole point of DACA is to 
kind of ease that tension, to ease that fear so people can come out into the daylight once again and stop uh, having this fear of looking over their shoulder and, you know, dealing with the immigration authorities and so on. Um, what could be maybe a silver lining? I mean, I do think it'll still increase the political polarization in our country between people who are for these kinds of policies and people who are against them. But within, for example, Chicago, like you mentioned, Chicago, you alluded to that Chicago is um, has always been a very segregated city. Could it somehow ease uh, or thin out that segregation? You know, like-minded people being against certain policies, interacting with one another, um, backing one another. Could that have a kind of a unintended positive effect i don't know i mean but um it's good to try to find the optimism in a situation while still being prepared for uh, the negative consequences and trying to overcome those negative potential consequences i think mm-hmm. you know I, I, listeners I, I would like for us to think about this idea this word that has been popularized uh, very much in the activist circles of the city of the nation uh, for that matter uh, actually across the world and that is the the term is intersectionality and that basically if you don't know what it means if you haven't heard it it basically just it the definition is definition is in the word right intersection you know where where a point points uh, converge where they meet and this is something that is particularly important when we think about being in an era or a time that places a lot of emphasis on identity politics because it allows us to see the convergence. It allows us to see what our common what our common concerns are. And beyond the idea of identity politics, we have to see that whatever we call ourselves, right, we are human beings. So for those that are listening, you know you're listening to Radio Islam, right? So from an from an Islamic Perspective, And each, even from just from the Abrahamic faiths in general, we believe that we have a common uh, origination. We have a common progenitor, right? We talk about Adam, right? On him be peace. Um, and he had a purpose, right? So <clears throat> that purpose is lived out collectively, right? It's lived out. It's not just up to an individual. So we have a common purpose. For those who ascribe to this belief, we believe we have a common origin, we have a common purpose and we have a common destination. That to me is the that is the essence of intersectionality. It is the idea that we are all we are all connected. So I'm gonna I, I preface the comment that I'm about to make um, with that because I want us to be thinking in those terms of intersectionality. So when we talk about the felon that is living in black and brown communities, right? Uh, communities that are over policed communities where these felons are restricted from employment in a variety of, 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 uh, of occupations, felons who are unable to receive licenses, state licensure, uh, in a variety of, of different areas, uh, felons who are quite often preyed upon by the, uh, by the, the system that is supposed to uh, protect them or supervise them, but often basically keeps enough of a hold on them to escort them right back uh, into the prison, right, into into, uh, incarceration. 
I mentioned that because there's an intersection between that type of existence and the existence that is on the horizon for these 800,000 or so uh, DACA participants who are now facing the prospect of being stripped of their ability to attain, obtain a license, yeah. who are being stripped of their ability to get a social security number, who are being stripped of their ability to uh, get an education. Also, if you think about the felon, uh, felons are also, they have great restrictions that are placed on them as far as their educational uh, options uh, or even housing in some cases um, are concerned. So there is a connection between the two. There's a very similar existence that uh, that we're looking at that's on the horizon, that's potentially on the horizon. And I think what it's calling for us to do is to take a stand as human beings. Uh, and it's not going to be, I don't think it's going to be necessarily easy, right? But it's the, it's the proper thing to do. And if we do it, and we do it with some uh, consistency, and we, uh, we repeat this type of effort, it will become the norm. And we'll move away from this idea of being a city of neighborhoods, which is just code for we're a segregated city, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because this, this legislation, or not this legislation, but this, uh, this revocation of this policy, you know, from the Obama administration, it is setting us up for further segregation, it is setting us up for further suspicion of the person that we don't know, who does not look like us. Right. And, and particularly within, uh, for those who are people of color. Um, so um, I think it's, it's, it's worth us thinking about and, and starting to realign how we respond to these things. As um, uh, Dr. McLeod, as she mentioned, is that we have to develop a singular narrative and a singular response that goes beyond just what benefits those who are receiving DACA today uh, or those who are um, discriminated against under the policies enacted against felons, you know, and, and so on and so on. So. Yeah. I, I don't. <laughs> no, I mean. I think I, I talked too long. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, you said, like. I don't even know how to really, I think you said it really well and perfectly though, like to consider that, um, like how it's going to affect everyone, what the outlook looks. And again, it is a pretty intersectional issue. Um, cause I don't really have too much to add to that. It's just, it, but it is just kind of, um, to me, it feels like another instance of driving us apart, not just driving us apart. Um, but really just create adding to that fear of like that uncertainty and sort of this like looming feeling that things are going to get bad, um, which is not good. You know, like we don't, no one needs to live under that, especially not for anyone under DACA, for any immigrant, for anyone. Um, and not like, and I don't, and not like they're going to do anything, but I just feel like it's just one of those situations um I don't know. It just kind of strips like a feeling of power, a power of way. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not, not sure. I'm kind of rambling at this point, but yeah. No, I think what you mentioned, um, you hit an important point as far as, once again, not to be too pessimistic here, but what's at stake here when it comes to DACA? Um, you mentioned that 
something we all know that the African American community has for uh, so long been crippled by this system which perpetuates incarceration um, and in turn perpetuates violence and other societal problems mm-hmm. we want to prevent that from happening again with the uh, immigrant community which is at risk of happening in the long term if um, these types of decisions are made and people are forced back into the shadows and not being able to get employment not being able to live a normal life um, it's not going to have good consequences in the long term right unless we do something about it and we really speak out and try to change things uh, cut things off cut these problems off at the root before they really uh, take shape absolutely absolutely and what this also means is that <clears throat> there's going to be a a conscious there's going to have to be a conscious and a deliberate effort to reshape and rethink what the american identity what it looks like i think you mentioned earlier ibrahim the idea that it is simply a legal construct uh that's how it's treated it's not treated in a way of 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 um of adding value the the egalitarian idea of what it means to be american to to work hard and to be rewarded for that work it is pulled away it almost tells the person who comes here who has been here and who's worked and who has contributed and tried to build a life that because they don't have a uh because they don't have the the legal status that their work is in vain right and that in itself that is that is a tremendous uh that's a tremendously damaging uh, and I think evil is probably the best word that I can come up with, uh, an, an evil message to sin. And I think that really does so much to hurt this uh, narrative, this creation myth or whatever you want to call it about America. America is the place where all you have to do is work hard and you'll succeed, you know. Mm-hmm. This is really a crushing blow to that narrative, I think, to tell someone like, yes, you grew up here almost all your life and you know nothing else but you don't belong here and you're not allowed to do this, this, and this, and you're not really an American, right? It's not going to, it's not a good thing. No. And to me, it just feels like you're dishonoring great intentions, good intentions. Mm -hmm. And that's just frustrating to me. (laughs) Because I think in Islamic principle, like, intention is really important and really key to things. And so it's, I mean, you have it, and it's like you're saying, like, well, we still don't trust you, we still don't believe you. And it's like they're doing everything right so you know yeah i mean and this also leads uh to another conversation which we don't really have time to get into today but nothing happens in isolation everything every action is preceded by some other action uh there is the 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 law of cause and effect Uh, if we look at how american how our foreign policy how our trade policies have impacted um the government's or the economies, excuse me, how they have impacted economies of Central American uh, countries, South American countries, and we see that their economies have been crippled through one-sided trade agreements. Um, If we go back and we look at NAFTA, uh, if we look at the influence or the impact of the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund and how they have played a part in decimating local economies uh, for the average person and those folks have have fleed and they have looked for opportunity 
at the at the nearest place that they could, and it happens to be the lands in in some instances that used to be uh, their homeland, you know. But through war, you know, uh, borders change. So I'd like for us to, you know, I, I constantly keep in mind that our president introduced himself um, as who he is, his policies, his rhetoric, everything is a reflection of of what he brought to the table on the campaign trail. He did not come as a unifier. He came as a divider. He came as one looking to stoke the fears of suspicion and hatred. Uh, and this, and one, uh, uh, quite plainly, who looked to remove the legacy, any accomplishment, any action that was undertaken by the Obama administration. He has taken every every aim at uh, at dismantling that legacy to make sure that the only thing that we still have is the picture that you know is a picture um in the textbook uh and you know that's about it ibrahim you about to say i wanted to actually get your opinion i wanted to read you a statement uh by president trump quoted in the new york times and i want to see what you think about that he says i do not favor punishing children most of whom are now adults for the actions of their parents mr trump said in a written statement but he said the united states is a nation of opportunity because we are a nation of laws. Uh, he went on to say later. Um, before we ask what is fair to illegal immigrants, we must also ask what is fair to American families, students, taxpayers, and job seekers. Okay, that's the statement. That's the part of the statement that I wanted to read. What do you think about it? What are your thoughts on that, basically? Well, when he says that America is a nation of laws, uh, and that, I'm paraphrasing, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly what you just said, yeah. and that is what makes America successful or great or whatever. A nation of opportunity. A nation of opportunity. Um, I reflect on his own flouting of the tax laws that allowed him to get out of paying, um, what, like some hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes. And when he was questioned on it, his uh, PR, his response was, well, we utilized the laws. We utilized, it was a brilliant use of a maneuver, you know, of the tax laws. So when he says that nation, this is a nation of laws, it does not mean that to me it is a nation uh, of laws that prohibit one from doing things that are harmful to another. To me it means that he is saying it in a way that um, his understanding of, of law is is something to be to be manipulated for his benefit, and his other statement, uh, and for the benefit of those in his class who think like him, who use wealth in the same way that he does. So when he says also about not um, about not holding the children accountable for the actions of their parents, that immediately that is a judgment within itself. It is to say that the parents did something wrong. If your house is on fire and you have your children with you. You're going to take your children with you out of that. And it doesn't matter where you go, right? You're going to take your children. You're going to bring them to safety. And there's nothing wrong in that. There's nothing wrong in coming to a country looking for opportunity for safety and security, especially uh, when, you know, you had not you had no say-so in the conditions that caused you to leave. So his rhetoric, you know, the, he, he says one thing and he does another. Uh, I don't. I, it's hard for me to take him uh, seriously uh, without looking at what he has done. 
So, and uh, to focus on the second part of the statement again, real quickly. Yeah. Uh, quoted in the New York Times once again before we ask what is fair to illegal immigrants we must also ask what is fair to American families students taxpayers and job seekers the president added so I think this um, it reflects a lot of the motivation behind the decision that was made today that there's this kind of false narrative that there's this group right there's this right. group that came in and they're they're stifling our way of life right they're they're taking our resources they're taking our jobs they're you know uh it's it's so far removed from their mind that these people are actually contributing to our country contributing to our society paying taxes you know they're the good people mm-hmm. family family oriented um but none of that this they're pushing this narrative that these are people that came in and they're ruining our lives in one way or another yeah. and uh the only way to deal with that is to take this kind of strict legal action. Yeah, and there's, there's you absolutely, you know, you hit the nail right on the head. Uh, and there are other conversations that we need to have in terms of uh, these are also efforts of population control, you know, point blank. Uh, immigration policies are based on uh, and predicated upon maintaining a certain ratio of uh of, of European, of, of white Americans, and everybody else. Uh, that has always been the case. The immigration um, uh, statistics bear witness to that. The numbers say it. So it's not something that anybody can argue about. Just look at the numbers. Uh, who has been allowed in, uh, at what rate, and, you know, over time. So, um, but before we, because we, we are getting close to time. Yeah, two I, minutes. I always want to make sure that we do, whenever possible, is to take some type of concrete action, okay? And what I'm giving you right now is from, this is from a, uh, a memo that was distributed by the Illinois Commission, uh, let me see if I get the name right this time, the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. What they are asking, what they're asking folks to do is to call their senators, wherever you are. So we know we're streaming. We might have somebody streaming, you know, in Denmark. We don't know, right? Right. Wherever you are, we're asking for you to, um, and and you know what? You can tweet our senators here. It doesn't matter. Just pick one. Um, But those of you who are within our listening radius, uh, those of you who are stateside, we're asking that you contact your senators and that you ask them to bring about a permanent fix, a permanent legislative fix for this issue, to give a permanent uh, and viable path to citizenship for almost a million people, and that we maintain uh, America, the ideal of America, as a place of inclusion, as a place of of egalitarianism, and that we do not allow ourselves uh, to continue to be uh, divided, and that we come together around these common principles of, of human dignity in every aspect, whether it be for DACA, whether it be for uh, felonies, um, you know, uh, looking at how we're going to uh, re relook at that. But anyway, we are out of time, folks. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in and listening. We look forward to talking to you tomorrow at 6 p.m. on 1450 AM WCEV. Uh, this has been Radio Islam. 
The executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. Our engineer and co-host has been Olivia Richards. Our other co-host is Ibrahim Beg. I am your host, Tariq Alameen. I remind you that the thoughts and words that have been expressed are not those necessarily of Radio Islam or Sound Vision, but those of the speakers themselves. We look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Have a blessed evening. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.